This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now the scripture reading uh, for today is taken from Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 24. I'll read through this uh, with us before I invite Pastor to come uh, give us the sermon for today. So I'll give you a moment uh, to take out your Bibles and also for those online to yeah, get your Bibles to turn to the correct pages. All right, Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, they will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, Go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for, those, for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted, up, uh, lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the, the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, <clears throat> Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been com committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. 
Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings want, wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and hear what you hear but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. I will pass the time now to Pastor Andrew to bring us a sermon. Can I bow our heads and go to God in prayer? Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for your word which speaks powerfully to us. We thank you that we are able to know you, that you've revealed yourself to us. We just pray that we would truly be able to take it all in today so that we know what it means to follow Jesus and to live rightly before you and just how privileged we are to actually have you as our Father. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Many years ago, my father came back from a talk organized by his church, and he was really excited because of the talk that was given. So I said to him, I said, you know, uh, okay, so who is this speaker that you're listening to, and what did the speaker say? And he said, well, you know, this church, uh, they organized for this really successful Christian businessman to come to speak to us. And I said, well, what did he say? He said, well, this Christian businessman said that he is very careful to be a really good boss to his employees and he's also really careful to treat his employees really well but he told us that he's also very careful not to tell his employees that he's a Christian and not to tell them about Jesus Christ so at that stage you know my jaw fell to the ground I was like uh, sorry can you repeat what you said this talk organized by your church by, uh, brought this successful Christian man to tell you to, that he was very, very careful to be a good boss and treat his staff really well, but never tell them that he's a Christian or share Jesus Christ with him. And he said, yes, that's true. Now, I wonder how many Christians actually follow and believe that. Uh, are we like that? Where we believe that to follow Jesus means that we don't have to tell people about Jesus Christ. Well, last week's sermon told us about how as we come to this part of the book of Luke, uh, it's really telling us in this section about what it means to follow Jesus, right? What does it mean to follow Jesus? So as we move along, we found out who Jesus is. He is the Christ. Then Jesus goes on to teach the disciples what does it mean to follow him. And so last week in chapter 9, in the last two sections, a man said to Jesus, right, sorry, he said to uh, um, uh, this man, follow me. And then the man replied, first let me go and bury my father. And then Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, and you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So last week we saw that if you want to follow Jesus, you need to put your hand to the plow. Okay, this is a farming image, an image of service, of labor in the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, you want to follow me? You have to labor in the kingdom of God. Another man said, you want to follow me? Jesus said, you want to follow me? You have to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So these two uh, pictures, these two instructions, in a sense, point very much to the section that we're looking at today, which is chapter 10 onwards, right? Because the heart of chapter 10 onwards really is the story about Jesus sending out workers 
into his harvest field. And so the image is one of farming again, right? So the people who put their hands to the plow, in a sense, some of them exhorted to go out and to gather the harvest. Of these people who are also called to go and proclaim the kingdom of God, a select few are told to go out and proclaim into the harvest field. And so as we look at this passage, we see that there's a link between last week's passage in chapter 9 and this week's passage in chapter 10. And so if I were to show it visually, in a sense at the end of chapter 9, all disciples who follow Jesus are called to proclaim the kingdom of God as well as to put their hands to the plow, to labor in the kingdom of God. But in chapter 10, the Lord Jesus appoints 72 others who are then sent out two by two ahead of him to go to every town and place where he was about to go. So they were like the advanced party of Jesus, right? They were like the advanced missionaries of Jesus. So what we see here are that these 72 are chosen. And so out of all the disciples who follow Jesus, these 72 are special. They are more select and they are told, in a sense, to go and do something special. And so what do they do? Well, the reason that these 72 are chosen is because it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, being city living people, we don't really understand what harvesting is, right? But what exactly is harvesting? Uh, harvesting is where the fruit or the crop is ripe. And the laborers, the farmers go out and they come and gather the ripe fruit. Okay, so whether it be pineapples or whether it be rice or whether it be grain, that's what harvesting is. You know, the fruit is ripe, you go out and gather the ripe fruit. And so what Jesus is doing, he's applying this farming image and saying, look, the harvest field of people, the harvest field of souls is ripe. And he's sending out these 72 to go out and to come and to bring and gather in these souls into the kingdom of God. Now the image is very similar to the image that we use in our responsive reading. In our responsive reading, the, the first 12 apostles, Jesus gave them an image of fishing. They were to be fishers of men. They were to catch people, right? They were gathering the fish. And so in the same way, the 12 apostles and the 72 others, they are meant to gather people into the kingdom of God. All right? So as we look at this passage here, the end of chapter 9, all disciples are called to labor, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 10, out of these, all these disciples, the 72 select disciples who are gathered together to gather people from the harvest field. Now, I think this is really important for us. Uh, we're going to be referring to this mind map that you see here uh, to kind of like summarize what we're looking at, chapter 10. But the first application, I think, is as we look at this passage, uh, we're all not called to go out to be missionaries like Shirley, to go out to Cambodia and to, in a sense, gather the ripe harvest. But all of us, in a sense, are called as followers of Jesus to proclaim and to labor for the kingdom. Now, I think this is a very, very important point that I want to make clear, especially after my father told me about his uh, conference that he went to. 
It is a non-negotiable as a Christian that we are given the responsibility if you want to follow Jesus. In a sense, you have to share Jesus Christ with people. I remember this old Singaporean pastor, uh, pastor in Singapore in, this, uh, in the Presbyterian denomination, one sharing with me how he said that there are people in this church, older Christians, who he has never ever seen in his whole life ever invite anybody to church or to share the gospel with anybody. And he was really sad about it. Because really, as Christians, uh, this is one of the things that we must be doing. We must be sharing Jesus Christ with people. We are not missionaries. We may not be in the ministry of, of going out and gathering people. But all of us, right, have to proclaim Jesus Christ. So I guess the difficult question that I want to put before you today is, when was the last time you proclaimed Christ? When was the last time you proclaimed Christ? And who did you proclaim Christ to? Who did you proclaim Christ to? Jesus goes on in the passage. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, this is quite strange, right, in terms of his construction. Jesus already chose the 72. You'd think that he would just ask them to go out and to do the gathering. But he doesn't do that. He asked them instead to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. So one of the jobs of these 72 is not just to proclaim and to gather people from the harvest field, but to pray, to pray to the Lord of the harvest that more and more workers will go out into the harvest field to gather the ripe harvest. Now this is really, really interesting, right? Because what it's really saying is within its historical context, within its specific context here in the passage, Jesus had 12 apostles, then he appointed another 72 others, but still they were to ask for more workers, more laborers, more gatherers. Why? Because the harvest was plentiful. There is so much harvest out there that we should be constantly praying for more and more people to go out into the harvest field. So, you know, we're very happy, right? Because, you know, we sent Shirley as our first full-time uh, missionary to Cambodia. But, but we could send a, 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 a thousand more Shirley's to Cambodia and it still wouldn't be enough, right? So we have to pray, right, for many, many more people to go out into the harvest field. You know, I, I keep uh, uh, referring to this book that I use for my prayer time, which is Operation World. I, I, I hope that every single person in the church owns the Operation World prayer book. Or if you don't have it, you can do, go cheap and just, uh, there's an app and you can download for free on the, your phone, right? But it's like very limited. But the amazing thing is, every time I pray for a country in Operation World, invariably it will always ask for more workers. There is no country in the world that I pray for in Operation World which never says that it doesn't need more workers, right? The world 
needs more Christian workers to go out and preach and proclaim the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many of us, especially now that all the borders are being opened, think of going on holidays, right? So, you know, many people go to Bali. And when we think of Bali, we think of the beaches, perhaps we think of the food, perhaps we think of, I don't know, fun, right? But we need to put on our Christian lenses. You know, we need to see it through the eyes of Christ. And so if you see it through the eyes of Christ, as if you pray through Bali and Operation World, you will see that this is a ripe harvest field for many, many people to come to know Jesus Christ, to be gathered into the kingdom of God. Again, for some of us, we go to Bangkok, we think of shops, food, massage. But again, right, Bangkok and Thailand is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a ripe harvest field for people to go and to preach and proclaim Jesus Christ. So again, an uncomfortable question that we kind of have to ask ourselves is when is the last time you prayed for workers to go to the harvest field? When is the last time you prayed for workers to go to the harvest field? Okay, so Jesus has chosen these 72. Jesus sends them out. Jesus asks them to pray for more workers to go out into the harvest field. Jesus then instructs them, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, the theme that keeps being repeated here is the idea of peace, right? The, the content of their proclamation if they go out into, uh, you know, ahead of Jesus, two by two, is this peace thing. So I want to look at the ESV translation because I think the ESV translation actually is more helpful in terms of understanding, uh, comprehension of what Jesus is really saying here. Because I think the NIV kind of flattens it out a bit. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. Now, this is a really strange way of putting it, don't you think? I mean, I don't think Jesus is talking a generic peace, right? He doesn't send them on a mission trip and just talk about, you know, generically, uh, you know, welcoming you with peace, right? It's also a really strange way of talking. Like, imagine if I come to your house and I say, you know, peace be with you and my peace rest upon you, right? I mean, who, who talks like that, right? So what sort of peace is Jesus talking about? What is he talking about here? Why does he keep talking about this theme of peace? Well, I don't think he means uh, emotional peace or psychological peace where you see a psychiatrist, you, you do deep breathing exercises or things like that. Uh, because, you know, the psychologist will never say, my peace uh, rests upon you. Right? I mean, psychologists and psychiatrists, they, 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 they can't give you peace that way, right? Okay? But I think what, what we're supposed to see by this is Jesus is talking about relational peace. Relational peace. Because this is one of the themes of the book of Luke. So what seems to be happening is Jesus is sending these 72 ahead of him. And he, he's sending them to bring relational peace peace 
to the people in the cities that he is sending out them out to. So if you remember, um, earlier on when Jesus uh, was actually interacting with the woman who was crying, remember he was having dinner or some meal in, in Simon the Pharisee's house, and she was crying and, and she broke the alabaster bar, uh, jar and you know, washed his feet. Then Jesus said to this woman, your sins are forgiven. And then the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to this woman, and what did Jesus say? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I think that this is what the 72 are bringing to these villages. They are going out. They are not proclaiming some random gospel, but they are bringing a gospel of peace, right? So they're almost like, you know, when you, nowadays we have so much delivery. Uh, we have a Lazada, Shopee, and Taobao and whatnot, right? So it's almost like the, the 72 are like delivery people that bring the peace of Christ, which is linked to the forgiveness of Christ, so that people will be able to have relational peace with God the Father. Now, I think this is really important because in the same way, it teaches us that as we proclaim Jesus Christ, we're not proclaiming some vague message of blessing, but rather, as we proclaim the kingdom of God, we're actually proclaiming relational peace between human beings and God through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Now, this is very important, right? Because uh, we make the mistake of not proclaiming Christ. Uh, We make the mistake of not praying for workers in the harvest field. But we can also make the mistake of proclaiming the wrong gospel. So I remember when I was working as an accountant in a computer company in Singapore. It's a really big factory. And, um, you know, the really interesting thing was for for me, many of the evangelical Bible-believing Christians, they were the most quiet people in the office. They would never evangelize. Okay, I shouldn't say the word never, but they would very, very rarely evangelize. But the ones who were most vocal about Jesus, the ones who evangelized the most, they were the charismatic Christians or the ones that came from the big mega churches. They were really, really evangelistic. But they proclaimed the wrong things, right? They kept going around inviting people for healing, healing sessions. Oh, you, you know, you don't look very well. Okay, come to my church. We, we will, you will have healing, right? Uh, you know, come to my church. You have blessing. Come to my church, you know, and then you have uh, promotions. But that's not what Jesus sends out the 72 to do. He doesn't just send them out to proclaim a vague blessing, healing, and things like that. He sends them out to proclaim peace so that the, the children of peace or the sons of peace will receive peace with God. So, you want to follow Jesus? We proclaim the kingdom of God as we proclaim the peace of Christ. Now, in verse 10 onwards, Jesus continues. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to your feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. 
I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. Now this is a complicated section of this passage, right? So how are we to understand it? Okay, so first up, we need a bit of history, right? Ancient history. So Jesus refers to three ancient cities. Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon. These two, these uh, three cities are actually separated by thousands of years, okay? So Sodom is much, much older. So Sodom is known in the Bible as the, like the, no, like I suppose the epitome of gross sin, right? The Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I myself will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry as that has reached me. So Sodom is like notorious for gross and egregious sin. And God went down, he saw how bad the sin was, and he brought judgment on the city. Tyre and Sidon uh, were these ancient cities up on the Phoenician coast, north of God's people in Israel. Okay, so you can see in the map, Tyre and Sidon. Again, Tyre and Sidon uh, were notorious in the ancient world for their rebellion against God and their opposition against God's people. Uh, So an example here in Ezekiel chapter 28 is when the word of the Lord comes against the king of Tyre. And it says, You were blameless in your ways from that day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread thread, you were filled filled with violence and you sinned. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made you a spectacle before your, to, of you before kings. So together, uh, these three cities, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, together they represent uh, sin, uh, rebellion against God, opposition against God. And again, the three of them represent uh, judgment, three cities that face the judgment of God. Now, Jesus then refers to three Jewish cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Now, where are these three cities? If you look at this map, Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida are all cities on the north of the Sea of Galilee, right? They're geographically very, very close together. Now, these were Jewish cities. Uh, These were cities which uh, had God-fearing people on them. They went to the temple. They had the law. But also, uh, as we read through the book of Luke, these three cities had seen significant ministry by Jesus Christ. So if you remember just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Bethsaida, near Bethsaida, was where Jesus did the really amazing miracle of feeding the 5,000 men and innumerable uh, women and children with just five loaves 
and two fish. Chorazin and Capernaum were the cities which is recorded for us in the Luke where Jesus was casting out demons and Jesus healed the Roman centurion's servant, if you remember. So Jesus had done a lot of ministry, a lot of miracles, a lot of healing, a lot of exorcism in this area of Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. And what Jesus is really saying is, he's saying, look, as we compare these three, two sets of cities, Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, what do we see? Right? What do we see as we compare these two sets of cities? Well, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Now what Jesus is saying here is that the miracles, right? In all these places, remember Jesus was doing all these miracles? The feeding of the 5,000, the casting out of demons, the healing of the centurion servant, all these things. I'm sure Jesus did a lot more. They are visible signs of the breaking in of the kingdom of God. Right? When, when Jesus is doing these miracles, in a sense, those of eyes to see can see that the kingdom of God is near, it's coming, it's here in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, as the 12 apostles and the 72 disciples are empowered by the same authority as Jesus, when they heal the sick, the kingdom of God comes near as well to the listener through their ministry. So the miracles of Jesus, the miracles of the 72, are in a sense signs of the kingdom coming in, signs that people need to respond and go to enter into the kingdom. They need to follow Jesus. They need to repent. And this is true as well in the sense of the miracles, the same miracles done by the 12 apostles and the 72 others. And so what Jesus is saying is, if, if these notorious cities of Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon were to experience the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the 12, the ministry of the 72, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. They would have followed Jesus and followed the disciples. But what we see here instead is that these so-called religious cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, they actually rejected what Jesus was doing. And therefore, Jesus says that at the judgment, their fate will be even worse than Sodom and Tyre and Sidon. So what we're supposed to really see from this is that even though the harvest fields are plentiful, there will be reception from some people, but there will be rejection from others. No matter how impressive the work of Jesus, no matter how clear the preaching and the proclamation of the kingdom of God, people will still reject because their hearts are hardened and they are stubborn. I remember talking to um, this uh, pastor in Australia who is much, quite, quite old now, much older than me. He spent half his ministry in one city in Australia and half his ministry life in another city in Australia. 
And you're saying that, I won't mention the city because I, I don't want to embarrass anybody who's here, right? But you're saying in this city, right, that this particular Australian city was so hardened and stubborn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said that in this city where he did his half his ministry, you could do double the labor and get half the fruit. Whereas later on when he did ministry in this other place, he found that, you know, he was doing the same thing, but people were so much more responsive. And at the end of the day, he said that he couldn't explain it, right? It was like, it was just because people were hardened and stubborn and resistant in their own heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't as if his ministry changed or his preaching changed or his ministry style changed. It was just the people were the, 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 the reason why the gospel was not being accepted. And so that's what we see here. Jesus is saying there will just be some people who will be like Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. They hear the gospel, but their hearts are resistant. In verse 17, Jesus reports back on the return of the 72. The 72 returned with joy, it says, and said, even, Lord, even the, the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, here is a picture of ministry success, right? They come back with joy because they are able to do these great miracles. The demons submit to us in your name, they tell Jesus. They've been able to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. They are filled with joy. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, do not rejoice, right? Do not rejoice over this ministry success, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now this is really something important, right? When it says that your names are written in heaven, it's like the idea of, a, a, of your name in the register of, for the school, you know, like your class register, or, or a census. When, you know, when people come to your house, you live in this house, you're Singaporean and stuff like that. And so what Jesus is saying is, when your name is written in heaven, the emphasis here is that this is a permanent thing. It's, it's like permanent citizenship in heaven, right? A permanent place uh, in heaven. And that's where the focus of your rejoicing should be like. That's where you should be focusing your joy. You know, it's, like, it's a bit like... Um, 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 uh, being a Liverpool supporter today, right? You know, I, 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 there's some, unfortunately, there's some Liverpool supporters in our church who are overwhelmingly joyful now, right? You know, and Jesus says, you know, to them, look, don't rejoice over Liverpool, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, right? Because in a sense, success, even ministry success, or whatever success we find in this earthly world, will turn to disappointment, will turn to, uh, I guess, loss, right? But when Jesus says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven, it is something that we can always rejoice in, that never goes away. So, you know, we, we live in a time where some of us 
find very little to rejoice in. Right? We struggle in life, maybe we struggle with aged parents, struggle with health, struggle with looking after young children, struggle with difficult situations, job loss, economic, financial hardship. It's very hard to find things to have joy with. But you can always, always rejoice in heaven. Your name permanently in heaven, your eternal future. Many years ago, I read this book, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And I think one of the problems is we keep focusing on rejoicing for success in this world, right? We rejoice over triumphs. We rejoice over success. But Jesus says, no, don't rejoice over success in this world, but rejoice over what can never be taken away from you. Rejoice that your names are permanently written in the book of life in heaven. Now, Sorry, this is my mind map. Okay, so rejoice. Okay, it's the next thing that we need to respond as we follow to Jesus. The last part is also very deep and profound where it says, okay, so what do you rejoice? Okay. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay, very deep and profound truths here. First thing is, it's it's actually radically confronting, right? Jesus says, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Now, he speaks very powerfully here of the divine sovereignty of God. God chooses to hide things from people. God chooses to reveal things to people. The first thing he says here is he reveals them to little children. The Bible always translates this word as Little children, child or infants. It's literally the word for a child less than three or four years old. And so what this is saying is, God, the Lord of heavens and earth, chooses out of his good pleasure to reveal things to those who are like little children, dependent, lowly, and feel like they are needy for God. In a sense, if you think back, right, to the ESV translation, the, the, when the 72 go and talk and speak peace, the child of peace or the son of peace, they are the ones who receive peace, right? They are the ones who belong to God's family. And here we see God reveals these things to his little children. On the other hand, he hides these things to the wise and learned. And so within that context, context of what Jesus is saying, Jesus could probably be saying that, look, the people of Chorazin, of Bethsaida and Capernaum, they, see, they feel they're very godly, very wise, very righteous. These truths about Jesus, they're hidden from them. But it's not just the sovereignty of God that we see here in view. Because in verse 22, it says, All things have been committed to me, to Jesus, by my Father. 
No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one, who kn- no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So these are very powerful words, right? God reveals everything to the Son, and the Son, Jesus, then chooses to reveal these things to His disciples, who are then able to know God. Now, what we see here in these two pictures are, are really pictures of, of privilege, right? We're so privileged. We are here today in church because the Son has chosen to reveal God the Father to us so that we may know God in a relational way. We know God relationally because Jesus has chosen to reveal Him to us. The Father has revealed to us all these things because we are little children and it is the God, the Father's good pleasure to reveal these things to us. And that's why in many ways we rejoice, right? We rejoice because we do not come to a relationship with God and Jesus because we are smarter, we're more spiritual, we're more righteous. But because of God's sovereignty, because Jesus has chosen us. And so, you know, this is such wonderful news, isn't it? That we somehow, out of millions of people, God has chosen to reveal these things to us. And Jesus has chosen us as well. So in conclusion, I think it's such a wonderful thing to be a follower of Jesus. I remember meeting a a really, really rich man. He's really, really rich. I think he retired at 50 and he was like worth like gazillions, right? But talking to him, I felt that deep down inside, he was really like a very empty shell of a person. I think he was quite sad, actually, and depressed. He filled his life with a lot of distractions. He would go to plays, he would find dining, enjoy the best wine, go on cruises, travel everywhere. But I, I really felt that compared to him, even the poorest Christian person was much richer because he had no identity, no meaning, and no purpose in life. His life was just full of trivia and distractions. But we have a purpose in life, right? God has given us a purpose in life. We follow Jesus. And because we follow Jesus, we labor in his kingdom. We proclaim the kingdom of God. We, we share with people this wonderful relational peace we have with God the Father. We are able to have... A, to pray to God the Father and to ask God for more workers in the harvest field. We have a rejoicing that can never be taken away. This this rich man that I met, unfortunately, I learned recently that he's suffering from pancreatic cancer, right? And I saw him, he's he's like really skinny now. What What is there for him to rejoice? You know, even the food that he eats, he can't enjoy anymore because of the cancer treatment. But we are able to rejoice we have an eternal future we know is certain. And we are so, so privileged because we have been chosen by Jesus Christ to have a knowledge of God the Father and to have a relational uh, knowledge of God. So I hope that as we've come to the end of today's passage, you will see just what a great privilege and, 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 and how wonderful it is to really be able to say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to ask and pray 
that you help us to understand today's passage well. That as we follow Jesus, there are responsibilities, but there are wonderful responsibilities of sharing the good news of peace. That we are able to pray and come to you, dear Father. And we do pray that you will send out more workers into the harvest field. And dear Father, we also want to thank you that we can rejoice in something that will never be taken away. Our names permanently written in the register in heaven. And dear Father, help us never to forget that it is a privilege and a blessing that you have chosen us, that in your good pleasure, you have not hidden these things from us, but have revealed them. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.